It's nearly two in the morning, and I'm all alone in the abandoned sanatorium. I'm trying to prove that the silly urban legends we've heard aren't real, that they're just meant to scare American tourists, and also that I'm no coward. I stumble around using my phone as a flashlight. The humidity has peeled the paint off every wall. Spooky, but nothing too bad. Soon, however, the light on my phone goes out. Dead. I try to carefully feel around for my surroundings. I begin to hear footsteps. I tell myself that it's all in my head. I round a corner and find my saving grace. A long corridor lined by large windows on either side. I look around, finally able to get a decent look at my surroundings. And maybe I was better off in the dark. A faint glow of moonlight illuminates what I did not see before. The entire room is covered in small red handprints. The handprints of children smeared everywhere in blood. I can feel my heart working overtime as I bound around the corner, even faster now, toward the closed door that stands at the end of the long hallway. I try to open it. Locked. I pull with all my strength, but it doesn't budge. The footsteps draw close, echoing in the hallway. I pound on the door, but it's pointless. No one else is here. Except... It's standing right behind me. A nun dressed in black robes. Blood drips from her head to the floor, staining the white of her habit dark red. I guess I was wrong. I wasn't alone. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Finca Sanatorio Duran, a haunted, abandoned hospital in Costa Rica, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as ParCast's other podcasts, on your favorite podcast directory. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, on Twitter, at ParCast Network, and at ParCast.com. Many of you have asked how you can support Haunted Places. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review. On a bright sunny day, the Finca Sanatorio Duran is fairly unassuming on the outside. Sitting on a beautiful hillside, the sprawling property could easily be overlooked by those traveling to the nearby Irazu volcano. Up close, however, it's easy to see how it's one of the most haunted places in Costa Rica, especially at night. The building's roof, rusted a shade of old blood, is the first thing your eye notices. A landmark amongst the property's lush green Costa Rican surroundings. 
Dozens of old tires dot the lawn's landscape, sticking up halfway out of the ground, taking on the shape and presence of old tombstones at night. Darkness lurks behind the mostly broken windows, and you can't help but wonder what mysteries lie behind the shattered glass. Even the construction of the sanatorium was shrouded in mystery and controversy. Construction began in 1915 and was scheduled to be finished just two years later, but work was halted for a year due to a mysterious death on the property. One of the construction workers on site was a man who became indebted to many people due to his gambling and drinking problems. In order to pay off some of the large debts he owed, he used to sell his wife out to interested creditors, a fact he mentioned to many of his fellow workers. One day, his acts of immorality caught the ear of one of the nuns who was helping to build the property's convent. Horrified, she confronted him and immediately insisted that the man safely turn his wife over into her care, or else she would tell Dr. Duran, the sanatorium's proprietor, of the sins he had committed. The construction worker spat in the nun's face and replied, some secrets are better kept between God and his devils. Ignited with fury, with the determination to have the man jailed, or at least fired, the nun left likely to go find Dr. Duran. The next day, the construction worker did not show up for work, and neither did the nun. For weeks after, there was no sign of either of the two, and wild rumors began to circulate. Some said that the worker killed the nun in order to keep her quiet, and others said the nun killed the worker in order to save his wife. But no one really knew what had happened to either of them. Work continued on as usual. It wasn't until ground was broken on a new well that the body was discovered. As shovels began to hit the dirt, workers immediately began gagging as an overwhelming putrid scent filled the air. They continued digging and eventually struck something other than dirt, a rosary curious. They continued to dig, more carefully now, until robes of black became entangled in their shovels. The body of the nun was found, strangled to death in the dirt. Her ears had been cut off, no doubt as a punishment for what she had overheard, and shoved into her mouth. Revenge. The discovery of the nun's body put a year-long halt on construction until authorities could conduct an official investigation. While all signs clearly pointed to the construction worker, he had long since vanished and was never seen or heard from again. The nun, however, was seen again. Multiple times, in fact. Once the sanatorium opened in 1918, many patients reported seeing a dark figure enter their rooms on cold nights. The figure did not necessarily mean to bring harm, but rather encouragement. It would appear above their beds to whisper one soothing word, Creer, believe, before vanishing into mist. Her calming presence was felt for years by the various patients of the sanatorium, 
and continues to be felt by some visitors to this day. When the sanatorium finally opened its doors in 1918, it served as a place of recovery for patients suffering from tuberculosis, an infectious disease that affects the lungs. But it served a far more personal purpose for its founder, Dr. Carlos Duran Cartin. Dr. Duran's daughter suffered from the disease, and the sanatorium was built so that she could have the best care possible. At the time, tuberculosis, also known as the White Plague, was one of the leading causes of death. By the early 20th century, the disease had claimed one-seventh of the population. <laughs> tuberculosis patients often suffer from a crippling pain in their lungs and experience bloody coughs. This disease is incredibly contagious. Doctors of the era prescribed a recovery process of rest and fresh air, which is precisely why the location of the sanatorium on a mountain far away from civilization was thought to be perfect. For worst-case scenarios, patients would be confined to solitary quarters, left alone in a small room to wallow in pain and ponder little other than their own likely demise. It's enough to make someone go crazy. <laughs> Dr. Duran's daughter, let's call her Isabella, had a particularly bad case of the disease and needed to be kept in solitary confinement, away from all other patients. She lived in a separate building from the main facilities, in a home with her father. Her room was located on the upper level at one of the highest points on the property. There, Isabella felt like a prisoner, trapped in a small room with no human contact outside of the nurse who visited three times a day to crack open her door and slide in her meals. Each day, Isabella eagerly awaited the sound of the doorknob turning, hopeful that she could speak to someone, even if just for a moment. She would rush to greet the sound, but the door always shut just as quickly as it had opened. A tray of indistinguishable gray food was all that remained. Her father would come by at night to talk to her before bed, but even he stayed on the other side of her closed door, speaking through the keyhole. Isabella would sit on the other side of the door and weep. But soon, Isabella would come to find that she wasn't really alone. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now, let's continue the story. Isabella had been locked in her room at the Finca Sanatorio Duran for days, when strange things began occurring in the middle of the night. First, she woke up to the sound of nails scratching at the walls. She first thought it to be nightmares, fueled by her disease. But come morning, she found deep claw marks etched into the walls near her bed. One night, she awoke to the sound of something desperately pounding on her wood floors from below, as if trying to escape. Endlessly, the sounds continued, always preceded by a deep chill in the air that Isabella came to recognize and fear. Yet no matter how hard she covered her ears, she could not escape the sounds. 
She lay awake all night, tormented and screaming for help, yet receiving no answer. Isabella's only reprieve was looking out at the large window that overlooked the sprawling landscape surrounding the sanatorium. From there, she could see the entire property. Isabella began to notice men carrying large black bags out of the sanatorium. She knew all too well what they contained. And even more, she knew that what they were leaving behind was sinister, something far worse. Something that couldn't be carried away and contained in a body bag. One dark night, Isabella awoke feeling that all-too-familiar chill that had preceded her worst nightmares. She gripped her pillow tightly and closed her eyes as she braced for the arrival of the terrors. But they never came. All she heard was the wind outside her open window. And yet, the familiar chill still lingered in the air. Isabella opened her eyes hesitantly and saw a figure standing over her bed. The figure was cloaked in shadow and darkness, and yet Isabella felt no fear. In fact, for the first time in weeks, she felt completely calm. The shadow bent down closer to Isabella before moving back toward the window. Isabella was drawn by its powerful presence. She got out of bed and followed it as it inched closer and closer to the window. When the shadow reached the window frame, it dissipated into the moonlight. Isabella climbed up onto the window's ledge to see where the figure had gone, but found no trace of it. As the summer wind blew through her hair, she looked out once more to the beautiful, still landscape. Then she looked once more to the sanatorium, built for her, before leaving the confines of her room for the first and last time. Some say the disease is what took Isabella, but in the end, she was just another victim of the sanatorium, a victim of the very gift intended to save her. In 1925, new residents arrived at the Finca Sanatorio Duran. They would eventually prove to be very difficult to get rid of. The Sisters of the Charity of Santa Ana were the sanatorium's caretakers. They lived and worked in the facilities, helping patients as they recovered and assisting doctors as they fought hard to rid the suffering of their illnesses. For the most part, the nuns were kind, and dedicated their lives to helping those who were in pain. One of the nuns, however, was known for being a little more tough. Not satisfied with the slower, passive tuberculosis treatment preferred by Dr. Duran, she tended to be more rough with patients, particularly those who were male, including strapping them to their beds if they were found wandering in the halls, and turning off the lights to their room for days at a time, if they behaved in a way that she disapproved of. She once entered the room of a patient late at night and began to smother him with his own pillow after she grew sick of his constant coughing. In his struggle to fight back and survive, 
he killed her. It's thought that the nun, while alive, was possessed by the spirit of the nun who was murdered during the sanatorium's construction. The nun with no ears, as they called her, was simply getting her revenge on the male residents of the sanatorium as payback for what was done to her. But after her death, the possessed nun decided to join her deceased sister and make the sanatorium her permanent residence in the afterlife. Her spirit became known as the evil nun. In the 1970s, when the threat of tuberculosis had diminished and the recovery ward was no longer needed, the sanatorium became a prison. Prisoners often felt an unwelcoming presence inside of their cells on dark nights, thought to be the ghost of the evil nun. Many reported having sleep paralysis, waking up feeling an uncomfortable pressure on their chest that made them unable to move, feeling almost as if they were strapped to their beds. When they looked up, they would see the dark, wrinkled face of the evil nun staring back at them. One prisoner came face to face with the nun while attempting an escape. Taking advantage of a dark summer night during a power outage, the prisoner slipped out of his cell and snuck down one of the sanatorium's many long hallways. The sanatorium is built almost like a labyrinth, with lots of winding corridors. Great, perhaps, for its original use in keeping patients separated, but unfortunate for someone trying to find a quick exit. He began to hear footsteps behind him. Thinking it was one of the wardens, he began to take off in a sprint, running as fast as he could in the darkness. Impossible. The footsteps continued. No matter how fast the prisoner ran, they seemed to be right behind him. The prisoner looked to the many doors which lined the hallway he found himself in. He dared not enter any for fear of being caught. Or worse, cornered in a room with no chance of escape. He ducked around a corner and found himself in front of a tall, winding wooden staircase. On the stairs stood a perfect line of ghostly nuns, six of them, each of their faces even more contorted and disfigured than the last. They stood completely still, their black eyes staring straight at the prisoner with a deep intensity. The prisoner was so overcome with fear that he did not notice the staircase ahead of him and fell down into what appeared to be the basement. Lying still on the cold cement floor, the prisoner realized the footsteps had stopped. It was pitch dark. He took a moment to feel around for his surroundings, but all he found were a couple of old metal bed frames. He searched for an exit, or at least a place to hide, but it was a dead end. He couldn't risk being discovered down there, for they would know he was trying to escape. But he didn't dare go back up the stairs. As he contemplated what to do, he heard it. The stairs began to creak. His heart beat ferociously as he ducked under one of the bed frames. 
Long shadows descended down the wall. The prisoner watched as long shadows descended down the stairs, followed by their ghostly bodies. He gripped the cold metal leg of the bed frame with one hand and used the other to cover his mouth to keep from screaming. Sweat dripped down his face as he watched their robes drag across the floor toward the bed frame. For a moment, all was still as their movement ceased. Then, without warning, the bed frame was thrown into the air. All six nuns looked down onto the prisoner, huddled on the concrete floor. One nun walked over, grabbed him by the collar, and lifted him off the ground. Her ears had been cut off, and she was still bleeding from the wounds. There you are. I think you've had enough bed rest, don't you? We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to Haunted Places. Year after year, many brave young tourists and locals alike travel to the sanatorium to see for themselves if the urban legends are real. Three local college students, Victor, Sophia, and Gabriel, once did just that. It was night out by the time they made it to the property. A long drive out of town just to walk around an old abandoned hospital. What's the point? Gabriel thought. As the group passes through the large rusted wrought iron gates, they get their first close look at the facility. They first notice the windows. They cover the building like eyes, constantly watching. They can't peel their gaze away from the mysterious darkness that lurks behind the glass, imagining what was hiding just beyond in the shadows. As soon as they pass through the gates, Sophia feels a heavy energy, almost evil. Gabriel offers to stand guard outside as Sophia and Victor go in. But he quickly realizes that now... He's all alone, outside of a haunted, abandoned sanatorium, in the dark. Great. It's peaceful at first. He's just glad not to be inside of that building. But then, the darkness begins to play tricks on him. He stares up at the ominous cross on the top of the chapel. He can't shake the feeling that he's being watched. He looks, once again, into the many dark windows that seem to stare back at him. He ponders what it was like to stay here as a patient nearly 100 years ago. To be confined to your bed for hours, days, weeks, sometimes even months at a time. To have little pleasure other than the occasional breeze that wafts through the large open windows in your room. The constant deep moans of pain and guttural coughing from your fellow patients, driving you insane, making you wish you could sneak out of bed and walk freely down the hallway, breathing in clean air. Gabriel snaps out of his fantasy as something grabs his attention out of the corner of his eye. He glances up to the upper window of the chapel, the highest point of the property. 
he no longer merely sees darkness, but rather a ghostly human silhouette. He rubs his eyes, not believing what he's seeing. But as he stares longer, he realizes his eyes are not playing a trick on him. It's a young girl. She wears a long white gown that glows in the moonlight. Her long brown hair flows down over her face. She appears to gaze down in Gabriel's direction. He freezes, unable to move. Not necessarily out of fear, no. This is something else, something involuntary. Then with a blink, she's gone. Gabriel runs into the main building, hoping to catch up to his friends. He pulls out his phone and tries to call them. No reception. He calls out to them. Victor! Sophia! He waits. And then hears a response. Crying. Gabriel hopes it's just Sophia messing around. She's familiar with all the legends surrounding this place. That's the entire reason they came. Gabriel does his best to navigate the dimly lit corridors, following the sound. Sophia? Gabriel calls out yet again. He apprehensively makes his way through the dark, wielding his phone like a modern-day candelabra. Gabriel approaches a corner. He can hear the crying on the other side. He pauses. He takes a deep breath, gathers up his nerve, and rounds the corner. Boom! Sophia jumps out from the darkness and grabs Gabriel. Very funny, he says. And the crying was a great touch. But that part wasn't her, she insists. The three walk huddled together through the darkness, hearing the crying in the distance all the while. They enter the wing of the sanatorium reserved for solitary confinement, as marked by an old cracked plaque on the wall. The crying grows louder and louder until they realize it's coming from the very room they're all standing in. Gabriel apprehensively points his phone's flashlight toward the corner of the room, illuminating the darkness like a spotlight. It's the girl. She sits on a metal bed frame with her back to them. She's wearing the same all-white dress. Her long brown hair, now a tangled mess, lays in her lap as she weeps. The three are stunned, unable to move, unable to run. They merely stare at the illuminated section of the corner where she cries. Suddenly, the crying stops and it's just silence. She sits up. Gabriel watches, petrified in fear, as she turns her head backward at an impossible angle to look at him and his friends. He sees now that she's got dark red blood flowing out of her mouth, staining the front of her white nightgown nearly black. Her face is pale and covered in what look to be scabs. Her eyes are rolled back into her skull. She rushes toward them, all the while coughing and splattering blood everywhere. She lunges for Sophia, 
her limbs moving wildly and unnaturally as she scrambles to grab her by the shoulders. Sophia dodges her and narrowly escapes. The three run out of the room. Sophia tells the others to go ahead of her as she struggles to close the door. Gabriel tries to stay behind to help. No, go, go! I'll be behind you, Sophia screams. Gabriel and Victor don't want to leave her behind, but they also want to save their own skin. They both hightail it out of the building and back outside. They make it to the car, breathless. Suddenly, Sophia comes bursting out from the building's main door, gesturing wildly for Gabriel to start the car. Gabriel pulls the car up to the door. Victor opens the car's back door, and Sophia throws herself in. Gabriel speeds away down the mountainside as fast as possible. He looks in the rearview mirror and sees a figure standing in the sanatorium's doorway, glowing faintly in the moonlight in a blood-stained nightgown. He blinks, and she's gone. The three vow never to return or speak of what they saw ever again. Isolated in the mountains, far from civilizations, the Finca Sanatorio Duran provided the perfect setting for recovery in its heyday. So much so that its residents have stuck around all these years. There are still some who dismiss the claims of paranormal activity, refusing to believe the first-hand accounts, the photographic evidence, and the few ghost hunting shows who have visited the sanatorium and caught their own evidence of hauntings on camera. Still don't believe the legends are true? Perhaps the next time you're in Costa Rica, you can take on the challenge that so many others have taken on before you, and see for yourself what lurks behind the dark windows of the Finca Sanatorio Duran. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. A new episode comes out every Thursday. Listen to all of ParCast's podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. People often ask us how to help the show. If you enjoy Haunted Places, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Ron Shapiro. With production assistance by Joel Stein and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Kaylee Huffman. I'm Greg Polson.